Hello and welcome back to Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less. I'm Lisa Linky. Sitting across from me in the ethernet is Misty Stinnett, and Hello. she looks ravishing. Thank you. Lisa, really quickly, before you do that, this amazing intro that you're going to crush. Can we, Oh, no press. Can we talk about um, my change in surroundings? Something new has happened. Yeah, you're underneath a circus tent that is slowly <laughs> falling on you. <laughs> I am so pleased to say that I have finally, after over four months in quarantine, purchased a desk for my room where I record so I'm no longer in a closet. So I'm actually sitting upright. I'm under a blanket still. But yeah, I'm very excited about this new development. I'm excited for you too. And it's making me realize that I don't sit upright. My kitchen table is not desk height. Mm-hmm. Oof, who can imagine Who, who that? could have guessed that? <laughs> and I'm leaning forward. So it's yeah. a real delight and a, ple- a pleasure to be here. Pleasure. I mean, you have to be close to the mic. I know. Go Help Yourself is a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less. <laughs> Each week, Misty and I read a self-help book that's popular. Maybe it's classic. Maybe it's something that has piqued our interest. Maybe it's a recommendation from a la la la, a longtime loyal listener. <laughs> At any rate, we read it so you don't have to. Or if you're so delighted with what we present, you run out and you buy it. Thoroughly masked. Thoroughly washing your hands and sanitizing. 35 feet away up. from the closest person. <laughs> feet away. You just run in, throw a handful of cash at the, at the cashier <laughs> and run out. Just smash and grab. That's right. Uh, but we do this in service of you. As we know, uh, acts of service is Missy's love language and mine is storage space. We do this in service <laughs> of you because... Misty is a, an ardent supporter of self-help, and I, I absolutely want to eradicate it from the face of the earth. So between the two of us, we will have a pretty good insight into if this is worth your time, energy, and money, or if it's a flaming dumpster fire that needs to burn out of existence. Um, yeah. But in either case, at the end of the hour, we'll have the highlights, the lowlights, the tips, the tricks, the pans, the picks, the ups, the downs, the ins, the outs, the oohs, the ahs, the, the boogies yes, and the woogies. No, <laughs> thank you, boogies and woogies. <laughs> and then people who have been asking you desperately to get help, you can say, I'm doing it. Aunt Janice. That's my Aunt Janice. She never talks to me like that. And I love her so much. I just use her name because it's a perfect aunt name. I love it. Uh, or if you've been craving some help, self-help advice, you got it, baby. You got it. But in any case, if you if this jives with you, uh, any of these episodes, please support the author and buy the book. Yeah. And um, also we cuss. So fuck that. I think I, I, think I did it. You did I do it? Did, did it. I do the darn thing? You crush it. You know, only... Hold on. I'm going to check... Only 173 episodes in, and that might be the first intro we really nailed. At least me. This used to be so good at it, and I was like, I'm terrified. Yeah, you used terrified to be really scared it. of the intro. So Because I was like, you really have it nailed down. And so every time I would pause, Misty would be like, I got you. And she would come in, and I'd be like, one day I was like, I can do it. 
<laughs> I'm not a baby. I'm a big girl. <laughs> I wish you all I could- can do our intro. You know what's so delightful about uh, recording with Lisa is she is a professional actor and, and your face is so expressive, Lisa. So I wish I just wish you oh. all could see the comedic genius that's coming across. I also have so many deep lines and crevices in my face. The zoom touch-up feature isn't doing me any any. You don't need to touch up with me. I feel like we're way, way past that. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna dive in. Thank you for that amazing intro. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We have learned that self-help is it can be wonderful, can be inspiring, can be wildly triggering and problematic. And we have scream cried. At the podcast, we have both bawled. We have both laughed so hard we couldn't catch our breath. Lisa likes to troll me. You're going to have a great time. We're your new pocket friends. We live in your pocket. We're here whenever you want us. Tiny pocket friends. Tiny pocket friends. And by the way, for anyone who needs to hear this today, you're doing a goddamn great job. You're doing everything right. You're doing great. Yeah. If you are laying there and unable to move, great job. If you're panic cleaning, great job. Everyone's doing great. It's who can care. Unless you're not wearing a mask. And if you're listening to this, first of all, I can't believe you are. But if you're not wearing a mask on purpose. If you're outside yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Because there's no such thing as self-help. We all help each other. That's right. What are you you bringing us today? Lisa James Linky. This week. I don't know your middle name. Anne. It's Anne, isn't it? Yes, you do. You do. Okay. This week's book, I am bringing you the New York Times bestseller, The Surrender Experiment, My Journey into Life's Perfection by Michael Allen Singer. So you may remember Michael A. Singer as the author of the number one New York Times bestseller smash hit, The Untethered Soul. The Untethered Soul. Thank you. Which... I don't remember if I read, read that book or audio listened to it, but... You read, read, because your mom had given it to you. Yes, she'd given me a copy like 10 or 15 years before that, and it took me that long to read it. Hi, Mom. Uh, so the prices of the book, the paperback's $12.49, the Kindle's $9.99, the audiobook is $17.15 or one credit, which is about 15 bucks on Audible. I couldn't find a hardcover price, but I could swear I saw a hardcover mock-up somewhere. It's not that but kind of book. It's it might not, not be that book. kind of book. Um, and it's also free on the Overdrive app. And you can also find a used paperback for like 6 or $7. So about the author, and this is from his website, untetheredsoul.com. And by the way, if you have been interested in reading The Untethered Soul or you have read The Untethered Soul and want to hear a critical discussion about it, we have an episode on that as well. Just scroll back like, who can know? Six months or something. Time is a flat circle. So... Michael A. Singer, according to his website, is the author of number one New York Times bestseller, The Untethered Soul, and New York Times bestseller, The Surrender Experiment, which have been published worldwide. He had a deep inner awakening in 1971 while working on his doctorate in economics and went into seclusion to focus on yoga and meditation. In 1975, he founded Temple of the Universe, a now long-established yoga and meditation center where people of any religion or set of beliefs can come together to experience inner peace. 
He is the creator of a leading-edge software package that transformed the medical practice management industry and founding CEO of a billion-dollar public company whose achievements are archived in the Smithsonian Institution. Along with his more... He's dumb. Along with his more than four decades of spiritual teaching, Michael has made major contributions in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and environmental protection. Did you know all that, Lisa? I did. I do want to share something. We forgot to timestamp. It is uh, self-help in the time of Corona. And so we are recording this on July 17. So Mm -hmm. when you listen, the world may look different where you are. Yeah. Um, But I want to let you know that our Untethered Soul episode came out on July 19th, a year ago. What? Do you think it's So if you want to go... No. If you want to go <laughs> no. listen, it's episode 29, uh, and it was released July 19, 2019. It's episode 29? Yeah. Because this is episode 173, and I could swear the Untethered Soul was like three weeks ago. Listen, they were all three weeks ago. Anyway, I hate everything and everyone. So the cover has a beautiful picture of a calm aqua blue ocean and sky. It's very soothing. It's 272 pages and the audiobook is seven hours and 46 minutes. So it's really not bad. When I first picked it up, my first impression was uh, I was surprised that Michael Singer himself was reading it, or as he likes to call himself, Mickey Singer. And he's got a, a very pleasant and soothing voice. So that was nice. So here is a fun teaser of the book that I thought did a great job of summating what's on the pages from peacealliance.org. Michael Singer is the author of the New York Times number one bestseller, The Untethered Soul. This thought-provoking and inspiring true story is about the magic that happens when you just let go. They're talking about the surrender experiment. Since its publication in 2007, The Untethered Soul has been a number one New York Times bestseller and has become one of the most popular books on practical spirituality in the last decade. But how did its author, Michael A. Singer, who is a man with a master's degree in economics, the creator of a software package that transformed the medical practice management industry and founding CEO of a billion-dollar public company, come to write this groundbreaking and hugely successful book on spiritual growth and enlightenment? In the surrender experiment, my journey into life's perfection, nope, my journey into life's perfection, Singer tells his extraordinary story of what happened when after a deep spiritual awakening in his 20s, he decided to no longer let his personal fears and desires dictate his life, but to simply surrender to what life had in store. This radical decision to follow life's flow led Singer to both the pinnacle of success and the brink of disaster. In the surrender experiment, Singer leads readers through a life filled with a seemingly miraculous flow of events, from his years as a young spiritual seeker living alone in the woods, to his amazing success as a self-taught computer programmer and corporate CEO, to a massive raid by the FBI that led to unfounded accusations by the U.S. government, Singer leaves no part of his story untold. Throughout, he demonstrates how a very successful external life is perfectly consistent with achieving profoundly deep states of inner peace and freedom. If one is willing to remain in the seat of witness consciousness and let go of their personal preferences. As Singer takes you on this great experiment and journey into life's perfection, the events that transpire will both challenge your deepest assumptions about life and inspire you to look at your own life in a radically different way. Whew. So... There are. I already hate it. Why? <laughs> Just listen. Listen. I, 
I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Why are you having resistance? Because he's already telling me that I have, I can't resist. So the minute somebody tells me not to do something, I, I want to do it. Well, what if you resist him telling you not to resist by giving up your resistance lease? No. (laughs) So there are 56 chapters in this book divided into nine sections. I'm not going to read you every chapter title. Don't worry. So the nine sections are one, waking up. Two, the great experiment begins. Three, from solitude to service. Four, the business of surrender. Five, something priceless is born. Six, the forces of natural growth. Seven, when dark clouds become rainbows. Eight, embracing explosive expansion. And nine, total surrender. And I'm going to do something that we haven't done on the podcast before in our 173 episodes. I'm going to do this episode without chapter by chapter notes and instead give you a brief kind of off the cuff overview of some of the stories from each section. So this is partly because this is my way of surrendering to the ideas of this book. So for example, Michael talks about being hired to teach a class and having no idea what he was going to teach or say walking in on day one, and he just trusted that the universe would help him out. So in an experiment of my own, I'm going to do the same here and see how it goes. So it'll be a little bit more of a discussion. (laughs) I love you. I'm here for you, but I already hate him. Keep going. (laughs) I don't understand why. So I also think this is a great way to approach this book since it really is like 99% memoir, although it's intended to serve as an example of what you can do if you surrender, right? So To dive in, the whole premise of the surrender experiment is this. Michael says that life has always found a way to create extraordinary and perfect things on its own. So for example, all the species on earth evolved into the animals we have today, a single fertilized cell can turn into a human baby, and weather patterns fertilize forests across the globe every single year. So life thrives without human input, and it does so perfectly. So Michael Singer asks this question, Why do we feel as humans that we know best? Why do we keep fighting for a life we think we should have or should need? And why do we feel like we need to work so hard against the current of life sometimes in order to achieve it? So that's what this book aims to find out. Kind of like what happens when you simply go with the flow of life and with what life presents to you instead of always acting on your own preferences. So he asks, a few times, if the flow of life achieves all this greatness and perfection on its own, doesn't it also mean that life can achieve amazing perfection for each of us if we surrender to it too? So Michael then, after setting that question up and that premise up, he then launches into the story of his life in a ton of personal detail. And he walks us through his evolving ways of thinking and all the resistance he felt within himself along the way and all the lessons he learned from that. How does that sound okay. so far? Listen, I think for a white man who is very comfortable being hired to teach a class and not prepare one single ounce and feel very confident that he won't get fired, that's this sounds great. 
Well, actually, you know, yes, a hundred percent. Yes. I do think that a lot of this sort of bravery and entitlement and self focus that he was able to have, uh, you know, when he first discovered meditation and had this sort of profound awakening, I absolutely think that his hermeneutical lens and life experience as a straight white male in the 1970s had a lot to do with him being able to say like, no, fuck it, I am going to go live in the woods alone. And I am gonna, you know, do what I want to do. So that is part of it. But also he fell so deeply in love with meditation and you know, feeling connected to this, this deeper, more peaceful inner world and kind of higher realm that that is why he was like, I don't want to teach. I don't want to finish my doctoral thesis. I don't even want to take my exams. Like he basically became focused only on this, what he saw as like a better way of existing and moving through the world. And he felt like everything else was just a distraction from that. So it wasn't so much that he didn't think he'd get fired or had confidence. He didn't care because he had a much stronger North Star for himself. I love that. I love that framing. I also think this, fuck it, I'm going to go live in the woods. I'm going <laughs> to turn down work and I'm not going to get my uh, doctoral thesis. Reminds me a little bit of Gay Hendrix, right? Like I'm going to turn yeah. down a $50,000 job because it's not what it's not in my zone of genius mm-hmm. or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are parallels there. Yeah, it just, you know, I I just, it, you know, there are studies that show that men, when they apply for jobs are, are hired based off potential. And women, when they are hired for jobs are based off of their previous work, like what they've done. Yeah. So the inherent capability, I don't know if you can hear my landlord Zoe, but something is upsetting her (laughs) on the street below. Um, So she's, you know, yeah, she's got a bone to pick. Thank you. Um, Nope. (laughs) (laughs) I'm too Um, here for that joke. (laughs) It should not have been so present. uh, I just feel like, and of course I don't expect him as a white male in the seventies to be aware of that, but I would expect him to acknowledge it in the 20 somethings. Sure. Yeah. And this book was published in 2015 and, and not letting anybody off the hook because we all should have been thinking a lot more critically about intersectionality and its many forms before this. But I would say even in the last six months, we've seen a radical change in the conversation and bringing it way more to the forefront where it should have been this whole time. But, you know, 2015 means he probably finished the book in 2014. And, and so it's, it's not, it really is focused on himself and his experiences and not, not thinking critically about that, but just sharing those experiences and what they were. Yeah. Listen, so yeah. Great. Yeah. So you got to kind of do a little bit of work and asking yourself what applies to me as we go through it. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll try to parse some of that out for us as well. So the section one, waking up, he just talks about the first time he ever noticed the sort of constant voice in his head, that being within us, if you want to call Mm -hmm. it a being that has that incessant chatter that's there Mm -hmm. all day long. And then he realized he was a person, he was probably actually the being watching the voice in his head. And keep in mind, for some context, Michael Singer is like a, a prominent voice in new age thought in the middle of the consciousness revolution in the Mm -hmm. 1970s. Like Mm -hmm. he really 
was discovering and vocalizing these things at a time when the world was ripe for it and going mm-hmm. through this. And that's when you see like Louise Hay. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's her came about. Right. What And what is Louise Hay's book called again? Why can't I remember it? You Can Heal Your Life. She had many, but that's the predominant one. Right. So, so take into context what's happening with all of this. And it was a lot simpler time sometimes, you know, it wasn't like high speed internet, et cetera, et cetera, um, informing our conscious thoughts. So part one is about his revolution with that, his first noticing that. So he was this like very intellectual guy getting his graduate degree in economics. And he started to notice this voice in his head. And he couldn't believe nobody was talking about it. And then he started to get very annoyed with it once he noticed it. And he learned how to meditate. And he had some really deep, profound experiences meditating where he just time fell away and he became extremely Mm. focused and felt these intense Mm -hmm. energy flows. He talks a lot about how he felt an energy presence between his eyes and his brow. On his third eye. Yeah, Mm. yeah, yeah. And his third eye and that he, once he felt it, he never didn't feel it again and really walks through like the, the first few very profound experiences that he had with meditation. And he had such a profound experience that he loved the place he went to so much and the quietude and the feeling of love and connection and peace that that's what he wanted to do all the time. Nothing else mattered after that. And so he started missing classes, dropping out of school. His marriage fell apart. He had a new mistress. Oh, and her name is... The mistress of like meditation. Mrs. Meditation. Um, (laughs) Yeah, she sounds hot. She sounds hot. She really super hot. Gets under your skin. Set up camp in his third eye and never left. Thank you. <laughs> Hope she was paying rent. Okay, so he starts this journey. Once he's had these experiences, he the first part of his journey is really self-focused, right? He does the only reason he's going to any classes anymore or studying at all is because beloved professors take him aside and say, like, do this for me. Like, you know, consider finishing your degree for me. But he he tries not to talk to anybody else. He just wants to sit in meditation most of the day. He noticed that what he ate had a profound effect on his meditation. So he starts eating like only a dinner salad every other day because he thinks it's going to help him get to this place faster. So he's really strict. He's really disciplined. He tries to never lose focus. He tries to suppress the voice inside, like this really clinging tightly to this stuff. Then he goes to a meditation retreat for the first time and realizes that his practice isn't working. It's not about being disciplined. And he wants to be able to interact with the world in a normal way while maintaining that inner state of peace and calm and connectedness, right? It's not about pushing everything else away. That's not surrendering. So he starts to realize through a few different experiences that he feels like life is presenting a path forward and that he starts to say yes to things that he initially wants to say no to. I do love this idea where he's like, I want inner peace all the time. So I'm going to be so militant about it that I lose my, my degree, my relationships, my marriage. (laughs) Like I do love that that, that juxtaposition. I know. I know. I, I love it too. And, and what I really liked about this book is that he is such a flawed person and does struggle so much and still has that 
ego and that sort of self-centeredness and resistance and like, oh, I hate change, you know, thing happening and he's trying to let go. So that, that resonated as very relatable as I was listening mm-hmm. to it. So, so for example, one of his professors, even though he was basically dropped out of the program was like, Hey, I need you to tutor this new grad student. He's going to spearhead. He's going to be the president of this new community college, but he cannot get the job without a graduate degree. And you're the person we want to teach him. And Michael's like, no, I don't even want to finish this program. I don't know this person. I don't want to do this. But he just found himself saying yes out of respect and love for those professors. And then through the relationship he developed with this guy, he realized that that really exposed a different part of himself and facilitated his own spiritual growth. And so he realized, he got this idea that life knew better and what would happen if he surrendered to whatever came up? So the rest mm. of the book is basically like, here's what I didn't want to say yes to. And here's how saying yes changed my life in a miraculous way. Kind so, of like Shonda Rhimes saying yes for a year. Yeah, yeah. Hers, you know, it's funny if we'd read this book before, and I wonder if she read it before she did the year of yes, it that felt like a modern day, less spiritual surrender experiment, right? So yeah, yeah. So because he had gotten he had been on scholarship for his graduate degree, his dad had given him some money for college. But then when he got scholarships, he was able to keep the money. He bought a little piece of land, wanted to build just like a little hut on it. But a a friend who was an architectural student came over and was like, No, we're going to build you a better house than that. You know, it might not have AC or or indoor plumbing, but like, we'll build you a better house than that. And he was not a lean to. Thank you. (laughs) And he was resistant. And then this beautiful house was built. And then he went, you know, he traveled to California for a summer and he came back and someone else had started living on his property. And he was like, what? I don't want this woman living on my property. But then he was like, but I'm going to surrender because that's what I said I'd do. And then this other woman ended up building a house on his property, but it ended up being this like amazing friendship. And there are so many things that happen that way in the book. Once the community college is built, that man that he tutored, who was now the president of the community college was like, Hey, I want you to come teach at the community college. And Michael was like, Nope. I want to meditate and I've done it. I helped you get your graduate degree. I also have this new neighbor. I have things to do. I have to watch her. She's just Mm -hmm. running around willy nilly. Mm -hmm. And, and the guy was like, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. And so Michael was like, okay. And that is why he showed up for the first day of class. (laughs) Like, well, I don't know what I'm going to teach. I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm just going to trust that it will come out. The guy was like, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you literally the other professor called in sick. I need you to go today. Just go stand in front and talk about something. But so he kept finding that, and this is, this is maybe really going to trigger you as a grad student. I appreciate the the warning. Yep. And it, it triggered me as someone without uh, having been through that experience. But life kept presenting him with these like miraculous answers and inspiration right when he needed it. So one of his professors was like, you need to sit for your graduate exam. You need to yeah. do this. And he was like, well, I'm really well versed in two of the three exams I'm going to have to take. But I know nothing about, I forget what it was. It was something finances. 
like, cause it's economics, right? So he was like, I'm just not first in this part of the test. And he knew he was going to fail and he didn't want to take the test because his ego knew he was going to fail. And what did that say? But then he was like, fuck it. I'm just going to surrender to it. I'm going to surrender to the failure and how that feels and how that obliterates my ego. Let's do this. The night before his third exam, the finance one, the building burned down. Thank you. (laughs) Pulled the textbook off the shelf and just opened it up to a random page three times and read six like two pages on either side, right? And then the next morning, I know Lisa's face is, her face is already in her hands. The next morning, he opened it up one last time and it happened to be to one of the places he opened up the night before. And it was a chart. And he looked at the chart again and studied in detail and was like, okay. He went to sit for that finance exam and he there were six questions. He only had to answer three. This is, I guess, how the graduate exams are or were then. And two of the three were about the fucking graph that he had seen that morning and the night before. And he just felt like, oh my God, the universe is giving this to me. And also he was told, I need you to write your graduate dissertation. Like, thank God for these professors who kept pushing him, you know? And he was like, there's no way, like, there's no way that I'm going to be able to write something coherent about economics and finance. And I've barely been to class in the last few years, but Somehow he got the inspiration that night and like wrote his dissertation in a matter of a few days. And so it's, I know, I know, (laughs) I know. So I just, I made a note that like this must be driving so many hardworking grad students crazy, especially because I remember the statistic from how to take smart notes that half of all graduate dissertations are left unfinished. So it really was like, come on, Listen, you're doing a brilliant job. And I can understand how, how the very fabric of how, of how he sees the universe held together is explained for him in this way. I understand this. I also have to say in the 1970s, the number of women and minorities who were allowed in graduate school and graduate yes. programs was so few the fact that he was allowed to behave this way yeah. and was encouraged by his professors is because simply he was a white man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I... Yeah, if a woman I, stops showing up to class or a person of color, is someone really going to take them aside and treat them with the same courtesy? Yeah, 100%. And you cannot discount those factors and his success in any of this, right? Including getting published. So... Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think that's, that is a, a lens that we have to view some of this with. But so section three from solitude to service, he finds himself, his classes are overrun with unregistered students because they want to hear what he has to say. People are finding him out in the woods and asking if they can join his meditations. And before he knows it, he's got this like small following in Gainesville in Ocala. It's literally the definition of failing upward. It's, I mean, it is, it's bananas, but, but keep in mind, this was like coming out of like the rigidness of yes. World War II in the fifties and sixties yes. and kind of like yes. norm core and then going here. And then here's this guy who like has a ponytail and wears jeans and no shirt and, also, and sandals everywhere. Fuck me. Who's to say that this isn't a perfectly 
valid. I mean, I'm not trying to say it's not a valid way. I mean, this might be an absolutely perfectly wonderful way to achieve things in your life. So I'll let that go. Yeah, I would say, I would say if you've got a lot of factors in place where you feel comfortable risking things, risking not getting your degree, if you've got enough saved that you can build your own house on your own land, you know, he had $15,000, which back then, how much is that? I don't know. But yeah, there's a lot of things that have to be in place before you can even consider spiritual enlightenment or meditation. You know, it's like it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? You've got to have food, shelter, water in place before you can even consider how do I want to spend my day, let alone what's my self-realization. Yeah. Um, so he, he, a lot of things start happening. Uh, for him and he keeps surrendering, right? Somebody says, you've got to host this guru at one of your meditation retreats. And he's like, I've never even heard of that guy. Why would I do that? But then he surrenders. They host this, um, huge guru. I'm forgetting his name right now, but he, he hosted like the Dalai Lama. Close. Uh, the, the guy who wrote the three pillars of Zen, Ram Das, Yogananda was his personal, spiritual guide. And then he was a big dude. He was a big dude. But basically they end up building a temple on his property. And he ends up having these really profound experiences with these gurus and these guides of where he felt out of body experiences and unbelievably powerful energy flows. He felt like his heart chakra was permanently opened with one touch by this guy. And so he, he does get into detail in describing those experiences and then section four, the business of surrender, by no fault of his own or advertising of his own, he finds himself owning a pretty lucrative construction business. So a police, yep, a police officer saw the house built on his property and the other buildings and was like, who is the carpenter behind this? I'm looking for someone with a prod, like to help me build an addition onto my house. And he was like, okay, I'll surrender. I'll do it. And he did it for nothing. I just love each time. He's like, I'll surrender. I'll surrender. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And of course, of course, he wasn't worried about if that, that cop was going to shoot him just for walking around. And Thank so you. word of mouth gets out. And before he knows it, he's got job after job after job doing small construction businesses. And then he ends up getting a license so that he can build this young couple a home. And all the while, he's donating all of his money to his temple and his property. And like his own personal profits are very small, but he's finding mm-hmm. that this is this really divine thing. And he talks about the help he received along the way. You know, uh, the president of a bank gave him a loan when he shouldn't have gotten one. And 10 years later, yeah, yeah, I know you're saying because it's like the white man club. But 10 years later, he ran into that same president of a bank who had left banking and had opened a video store and was trying to be this entrepreneur. And he needed a loan. He was just trying to rent a, a video from like a I guess the equivalent of a blockbuster. And he overheard the owner of the store saying like on the phone, I can't get a loan. I need this. You know, nobody will lend to me. And he turned around and it was the fucking president of the bank. And he was so happy to give that guy almost the exact same loan that that man had given him 10 years earlier. So there's a lot of this really serendipitous timing and really resistance to change. But then like we were almost out of money to build the temple and a tooth, an envelope with $2,000 cash showed up in, in my mailbox. And I, to this day, don't know who it's from. And it's like, okay, section five, something priceless is born. So by now, despite wanting to just live a 
a life of solitude in the woods, meditating by himself, centered on himself. He now has a full-on temple built on his property, multiple dwellings, a successful construction business, and he is in, remember this, a radio shack one day, and it's the first time he ever sees a personal computer. And he types on it and is mesmerized and realizes that he has a deep love and passion for computer programming. He teaches himself. <laughs> Lisa is putting her landlord Zoe's antler that she chews on on her head. <laughs> Thank you very much. I realized I have a deep fascination and love for personal computing. And what do you know? I just happen to have the thousands of dollars that it took at that time in the 80s to purchase one. Yeah. Correct. And he finds that he is energized when he's writing code and he feels the same energy. Some of the same energy flows as when he's meditating and he could do this all the time. And lo and behold, somebody asks for help on a small project. His name was Steve Jobs. Yep. Yep. Exactly right. (laughs) Uh, And word starts getting around that Mickey Singer can write custom computer programming. So he does this for a while, then he starts selling pre-existing software. Sure, sure, sure. And while he's selling pre-existing software, he goes to a, a hospital or a medical firm, something like that. And they were like, we need software that does this. And he realized the software he had wasn't going to do it, that he was peddling. And they, they said, well, you used to write custom code. Can't you just do that for us? He said, well, it might take like two years. And they said, it's no problem. We're willing to wait. We need all the details to fill out the claims and run our hospital. What are we going to do in the meantime? What we're doing now? Thank you. So he spends two years writing this code and has a small team. And of course, it's so so successful and necessary that he ends up, a, a software company ends up buying this program off of him. And before you know it, he's got this very successful computer programming business and uh, it eventually goes public. He eventually is the CEO of this. It merges with a company. It ends up joining its biggest competitor, which I think was WebMD at the time. I'm so sorry if I'm getting this wrong. I think he was the CEO and owner for a while of WebMD. Or so of the, the company it was partnered with. We're going to die of cancer when we go to the web, when we have a headache. Sure. And we go to WebMD. It was a totally different yes, that's true. program then. And it didn't become the WebMD that we know until it was almost obliterated. But oh, so he's got man. this like, he's got this $300 million software company that went from like, you know, $50,000 and three years later was literally worth $300 million. You know what, Misty? I'm going to surrender to the fact that this man can't help but trip over his own dick because it's so big and <laughs> just fall into a pile of money because he tripped over his four foot dick. I'm going to surrender to it. I thank you. What, what growth you're doing great work. And remember that I am summating Eight hours of an audiobook. So like he really is saying like, 
here's what I was afraid of. My inner voice was telling me, you don't know what you're doing. How are you on a private jet to do That's this fair. stuff? You're da, 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 da. So he's, yeah. he really is saying like, who was I to do this? And then again, who am I not to do this if life is literally serving these things up to me? Mr. Singer, I apologize. Your dick is not four feet long and you do not trip over it into piles of money. You are a person who suffers fear and anxiety just like anybody else. Yes. And you have decided to surrender to that and say yes and trip into large piles of money. You're still tripping into large piles of money, regardless of the dick size, you know. It's happening. So uh, his software is called the medical manager. That was the big thing. But basically, he his company goes public. He combines with WebMD, et cetera. But the stock price plummets. Oh, no. Yeah. And they're looking at doing like a ton of layoffs, et cetera. WebMD has to restructure. So suddenly... It, basically, the, the point of focusing on the struggles that he had building these businesses is that, again, new sides of himself and his psyche and that voice in his head are being presented to then sort of be demolished and having more and more stressful experiences to surrender to. So turns the company around. Everything seems like it's going well. It's wonderful. Then he gets a call from his assistant or or someone in his company, someone close to him, like his personal secretary. And they're like, you have to get down to your house and the temple. The FBI is here. There are helicopters overhead. I cannot get general counsel on the phone. They have a search warrant and they are raiding everything. This is like a Warren Jeff situation. Like what's happening? Why? Why the temple? Well, it turns out the FBI had like a 50 person coordinated raid on all of his headquarters, on his home, at his office, like everything. I think there were three sites because I think they had some in New York, some in California, and then some in Gainesville. All at the same time. Mm -hmm. All at the same time on the same day. So it turns out one of the people in his company that was pretty high up, I think a guy named Bobby. Sure. It's always Bobby. It's always Bobby. He'd been embezzling and had a, a kickback scheme going and had embezzled five or six million dollars over the course of the last five years. And there were three or four other employees involved in that. But when they, when the FBI got turned on to Bobby and his like hundreds of shell corporations and bounce checks, whatever, he walked into the FBI headquarters and was like, if you give me a deal, I will expose everyone in the corporation for what they're doing. And like wove this web of lies about how Michael had told him to make deals in that way so that they could meet Wall Street stock expectations about how the board of directors were all in on it, et cetera, et cetera. And he was the guy that had seen every single document. He was the one who was in charge of the mergers. He was the one and he was having an affair with one of the main accountants. And that's how he was able to get everything passed. So he literally knew which documents would support which story he told. Well, well, well. Someone tripped over his own dick into a federal indictment. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so Michael is standing on his ranch, looking up at the helicopters ahead. To see from good fellas. Yeah. Watching as the FBI is taking everything. And he is going, huh, 
What an amazing predicament that life has presented to me to practice surrendering to. So he puts his hands up and puts them right in cuffs. Yeah, right. I surrender. I surrender. More like a light bondage tie, but who can care? (laughs) So, So then over the next four or five years, he... He resigns as CEO because he wants the hardworking people who sure. are still there to not have the company go under. The U.S. government takes three years putting a case against him. Um, he has to hire 40 lawyers because oh it, God, two different – two different. It's so upsetting. Two different firms, one for like the company as a whole and then one for his company, then a lawyer for each of the people who had been accused on the board, which was like nine or ten people. Shakis. And then another ten lawyers who are familiar with South Carolina law because that is where it's being prosecuted out of. So it's insane. There's a few summer homes built off of this case. It's insane. And like, meanwhile, he was such a successful and profound tech person that the Smithsonian Institute chose to chronicle his story for future generations of, you know, kind of like they chronicled certain companies in the industrial revolution and how that changed Mm -hmm. history. His company is one of the ones for the computer revolution. Oh, and the stock price of the, of the company after the merger plummeted when the tech bubble burst. That's what happened. So anyway. He is just watching like lie after lie be spun, but he knows that the government is so hell bent on prosecuting him. They didn't, the other guy didn't even get jail time, Lisa, the guy who was responsible for everything because he made such a good deal. Mm -hmm. So again, he's going like, I've got to surrender to this. Life wants me to do that. Right before trial, his lawyer got a cancer diagnosis. His amazing lawyer that had been there and like uh, needed to take time away and the judge retired that had been working on the case and was sympathetic. (laughs) I do love how the universe was like, you've been surrendering a lot and having a lot of success, but it's time for you to surrender and have a lot of failure. The universe went, hold my beer. (laughs) So right before the trial was going to go. The government realized that they were like dismantling pieces against Michael Singer piece by piece, like his defense attorneys were, because they finally had, and this dragged on for like six or seven years. And it was during this time, all of this legal stuff that he wrote the untethered soul, which is miraculous because when you think about like the piece that's coming out of that book and what he was going through at the time, but he didn't know if he was going to be behind bars for a very long time. (laughs) He was about to be a very tethered soul. Yeah. And he'd been working in prisons, leading meditation groups, which he says is the most important work he's ever done. So he'd seen the inside of a lot of prisons and was like, okay. So he worked frantically to get the untethered soul out. And he knew he always wanted to write about the surrender experiment, but he didn't know how this chapter was going to go. So he did He knew he couldn't start the book until he kind of could weave the pieces together. Anyway, like a month before his trial, the government dropped all charges, but they still went after. Of course, they didn't reimburse him. No, and it was like $150 million that they spent on defense or the government's money, you know, going after him. But two of his board members that he knew were innocent, because you could look at all the evidence he says, right, and see that it was just... Bobby and his four or five people in cahoots, they were still found guilty by a jury. But the judge was so incensed and was like, you just fell for the story that the government told 
that the judge, he exercised his right to overturn that. And so everybody got off scot-free, thank God. But even Bobby and his shitty cohorts, you know, they'd already made the deal to testify again. So he tried to give as much as he could. That's my new Herald team name. My new improv group team name is Bobby Bobby and the shitty cohorts. (laughs) (laughs) I love it so much. (laughs) So all of this has happened. He's gone from this loner, young 22-year-old in the woods trying to meditate by himself all the way through literally seeing an indictment with the United States versus Michael Singer on a piece of paper and come out of it unscathed. But he just knew, he just was like, again, just in awe of how everything challenged him in the way he felt he needed to be challenged. And he never Mm -hmm. would have been brought to any of these places if he didn't surrender to this. And now the temple of the universe has been around for 40 years. It's it's called the temple of the universe. Yeah, because they believed that every single spiritual master, every religion, whatever was welcome there, it was really a place for anyone in the universe, therefore the temple of the universe. Okay. And so that is the briefest overview of the surrender experiment by Michael Allen Singer. And if you want to learn more about it, you can go to the author's website, untetheredsoul.com. Misty. Wonderful job. Truly, truly a wonderful job. Um, I have a few questions for you. Sure. And how I'm curious how you felt about this sort of different format without because this is not a this is not a how to book. This is not a here are the steps to take. Yeah, no, I thought you did a great job. And I thought that was super helpful. And just kind of taking us on this journey, because that's how that's how this book goes, right? Like, yeah, it it was kind of, it felt more like a story and that was really wonderful. So thank you. Um, Misty, did this book need to be written? You know, I'm not sure. Oh, so here's the thing. I think the premise of the book and the question the experiment asks, like if life is so powerful and finds such a way on its own, doesn't it make sense that us surrendering to it, we'd get all the things that we need anyway? I, I think that is a great question to ask, but I think it could have been just as powerful as like a three-page blog post. I'm serious. I know Lisa has her hand over her mouth. The shade. It's not, it's not shade. It's practicality, right? So the, the book is as long as it is because Michael is including 40 years of life experience about how surrendering made his life better and aided in spiritual growth. But I think you can feel the power of the argument of surrendering without all four decades. What do you think the author got right? And what do you think the author got wrong? I have obviously already vocalized everything I thought the author got wrong. Yes, yes. I think there was a lack of intersectionality and critical thinking that I think maybe feels a little bit tone deaf in the current circumstances, but taking into context 2015 and that is a memoir. Mm -hmm. I guess you could see why a person didn't feel the need to, to say those things. But what I think was a little bit off is that he writes for a very long time for what felt like a third of the book about building his software company. And we are talking like the nitty gritty of like who joined his team and what their role was. And I think that part 
may not resonate as much as the first two thirds of the book did with readers who picked it up to learn more about his spiritual journey and his meditation practices. Although they're definitely, they are tied together. For sure. Yes. But yes. it just felt, it felt very disjointed. I, I think an entrepreneur would really enjoy the last third of the book mm-hmm. and spiritual seekers would really enjoy the first two thirds of the book and they would feel maybe lukewarm about the opposite sections. That's great. What, if anything, did you try from the book? So not taking notes, like not, you know, I took a couple of notes up at the top and just going into this episode going like, I don't know what I'm going to say. I hope it comes out. Okay. So you all were here with this. And I think, you know, I, I've been talking to you about this a bit, Lisa, where it's like, sometimes the things I'm trying to accomplish feel like they are so uphill. And then other things I'm just so excited about and they feel so natural like the podcast or like leather working or like dancing. And it's like, what would happen if I just sort of leaned into those things and said yes more to, to anything that came my way. So I'm, yeah. I'm been trying to practice that a little bit. Do you have any homework for me? And I'm totally open to it, even though I was totally a raging crank about this book. I do. I do. I want you to do a mini surrender experiment of your own. So the next time someone asks you to do something you don't want to do, or you're presented with a choice you find yourself resistant to, I want you to surrender what's to what's being asked of you. And this is within reason, of course. Like if somebody is like, Lisa, I really admire your work. Will you hop on a 15 minute call with me? Like, I want you to say yes to that Mm -hmm. and see what happens. But if someone's like, move to Louisiana, like, don't do that. And one thing I do want to add, just as a heads up for anybody who's thinking about reading this book, this might sound ridiculous, but listening to miracle after miracle happen to him in the book felt very one note. And after he explained that it happened a few times, it's like every obstacle he then presents, you know what's going to happen. It's very predictable that he's going to get through it and the universe is going to provide. So it's not really like a sit on the edge of your seat kind of thing. So I would say this book is perfect for people who are fans of Michael Singer and want to know the nitty gritty of his story. And maybe for people who are tired of trying to force their life down a certain path and want inspiration and permission to let go. But this book is not so good for people who don't believe that there are larger life forces working in the universe. Like if you, if you are like, nope, like I just believe it's all chaos and random and that's it. This book is not going to, it's not going to resonate with you. That's a great tip. Thank you. So, you know, kind of keep that in mind if you're thinking about picking this up or gifting it to somebody. Yeah, that's a great tip. It's a great job. Great job. Thank you so much. And I, I, oh, you know, everybody listening, what are your experiences with surrender? You know, have, has anything amazing come out of it? Or have you been like, you know what? I will sleep with that sleazy guy at the bar. And then the next day you were like, ooh, that was a bad mistake. He won't stop calling me. And I smell like cool water by David off and I can't get it off. Oh, remember you know cool what I mean. water. I'm going to tell you a very brief story. When you, the surrender, anytime you say surrender, it makes me think of Muppet Vision 3D at um, at Disney World and at Hollywood Studios. And at the very end, there's Statler and Waldorf who are over, who are up in the thing. And there's a big explosion at the end in the theater. And then they... They wave their handkerchiefs and they go, we surrender, we surrender. And that's <laughs> what I've been thinking of this whole time. Yes, yes. 
Um, yeah, I just feel like feel a little resentful of surrender at the moment because I feel like all of us have had no choice but to surrender to current circumstances Mm -hmm. and staying inside and trying to stay healthy and not seeing family and loved ones. And, you know, for, for those living on their own, not getting physical touch, even in like a very platonic way. And it's like, so I think surrendering can feel really powerful when it's a choice and can feel real tedious when it's not. So, or when it's in the form of like systemic oppression. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious how Michael Singer is feeling about the, (laughs) I bet he's like, well, here we go. Okay. This this pandemic. pandemic, Thank you so much. Yeah. That's it. So with that, everybody, please, dear God, write to go help yourself podcast at gmail.com or you can DM us on Instagram at, at go help yourself podcast or Twitter at ghy podcast and let us know a hilarious, or heartwarming or heartbreaking or horrifying story (laughs) of when you surrendered and how it went, because I will be living for those emails. (laughs) Living. All right, everybody. Life Life is abundant. abundant. Goodbye. Goodbye. Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less, was produced by Misty Stinnett, Lisa Linky, and Matt Sav. Our theme song was also written by Matt Sav. He's amazing. <laughs> do you want to get in touch? You do. Email us at gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And you know you can also find us on the social medias. Instagram at gohelpyourselfpodcast. Twitter at G-H-Y podcast, or check out our website, gohelpyourselfpodcast.com. And if you liked our podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes to help other people discover our show. It's really the least you can do. And why don't you tell all of your friends? Bye! Bye.